1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people one to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Uh, th- this, this market has given me a split personality, including on a day like today, where the NASDAQ roared 1%, S&P gained 227%, and the Dow declined 86 points. We're about to get a set of unbelievably positive numbers from big retailers and restaurant chains, which is fabulous if you own those stocks. But frankly, it is horrifying if you think about why they are thriving. This week we hear from Walmart. Buy, buy, buy. From Home Depot. Buy, buy, buy. Lowe's. Buy, buy, buy. And Toyota. Buy, buy, buy. And now if their stocks get hit for any reason, sell, 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 you have to buy them. Because these major operators are up against general merchandisers, hardware stores, sporting goods stores, and lumber yards that simply cannot compete. Because they were deemed non-essential by the government, and I fear they'll never get those lost customers back, not with the prices these big guys charge. The winners have so many advantages over the little guy that I'm amazed there's still any competition whatsoever. And soon I have a fear that there won't be. And that's what's really driving me nuts. I love when these big household names go higher, but I hate one of the reasons they're going higher. Their small business competitors are being wiped out. A lot of these smaller outfits have been able to hold hold their own before COVID, but now the big guys have crafted phenomenal same-day delivery services that only Amazon can beat. Anyone, by the way, who's used Shipped from Target knows they can send you stuff within an hour. Sometimes we use them for props on the show. It's fabulous. Mom-and-pop outfits can't compete with that in the age of social distancing. We constantly hear that our economy is going through five years' worth of technological change in a matter of months. But that also includes retail. And now that PPP's run out, that was that government program, gave you some money. Uh, well, now it's, everybody's left to their own devices. If anything, it's even worse for restaurants where PPP was so valuable. Today, Domino's announced that it needs 20,000 more delivery experts. They need pizza makers, managers, assistant managers. Now, let's brainstorm on this together. I mean, do you think they're hiring all these people because of a surge in demand for pizza versus burgers versus chicken versus anything else? No, no. It's because they're taking share from smaller pizza parlors that are more reliant on indoor seating and don't have the same kind of delivery infrastructure and can never afford it. Right now, there are plenty of restaurants making do with outdoor seating. It's so exciting, right? But it reminds me of Vienna. But that goes away the moment the weather gets too cold. And beware if you're too crowded. The authorities might come and shut you down in a heartbeat. My Twitter feed is filled with people saying restaurants will always have a following. That is not the point. Until we get a vaccine, our following is cut in half because of physical distancing in the, in the, the bar and the restaurant. And the state doesn't want lines out the door either. More importantly, there's a liquor issue. As someone who's in the restaurant business, I can tell you that the real money's in drinks. Growing up, my dad would never let us start drinking until the food came because he knew that's how they gotcha. So a lot of pizza parlors will have tables inside where they can serve you alcohol, and that's where the profit margin is, and those tables are being cut in half. They've got to take them out. If they can't have people inside, think New York City, it's devastating. Throw in the extortionate cut demanded by the delivery services, which are all combining anyway and going to not lower their prices, a lot of these places will not be able to stay in business and will be gone within a matter of weeks. Domino's knows this, which is why they're getting ready to poach people. Obviously, Domino's doesn't make the best pizza in the world, though their tomato pie with banana peppers is just killer. But I love ordering from them because I can put the tip on the bill, and then they'll put the pizza on a contactless pedestal that makes you feel a lot more comfortable than if you order from the local guys. It's kind of like when you were, when you were a little boy or girl, I don't know, and you would, like, ring the bell, and then you'd, like, run away, and people think it's funny. Well, that's what they do. There's, like, nobody out there It's great. Pizza Hut and Papa John's are set up for delivery, too. They they don't care if they can't have people inside. Not a good business. Wingstop. Think that one. When we get delivery orders for our restaurant, we use our own waiters. It's the only way we can afford to do it. And believe me, it's a lot less lucrative than having people eat inside the darn restaurant. Have a good bottle of wine. We're seeing the same dynamic across the whole industry. Darden, the parent of Olive Garden, and Yum, the parent of KFC Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, both have the wherewithal to handle a dramatic decline in the number of seats at the restaurant. One of Pizza Hut's biggest franchise may have to close 300 locations because of the in-store dining issues I'm talking about. Get the stock, Yum! It's still a buy! On the other hand, if your local pizza parlor were publicly traded, you short that thing until the cows came home. The big guys have easily transitioned to a takeout and delivery model. Chipotle's so good at digital that they're doing better than ever. I just wish that $1,200 stock would split so more home gamers could own a piece of this great company. I want people to say, I own a piece of Chipotle, Brian Nickel. I want them to, Jack Hartung, CFL, give us a chance to own a piece of Chipotle. Some of the analysts are recommending chains like uh, Brinker. The parent of Chili's, symbol E-A-T, because it's evolved into a takeout model almost overnight. The fewer people it has in its restaurants, the more likely it is that these smaller outfits will go under. That's right. It's a win for Brinker if they can lure other people from other restaurants with their, their takeout. How are these big chains so much more profitable? Because they're big. It's all about scale. Chipotle sells Topo Chico. That's the best fizzy water in the world. It's from Mexico. They sell it for less than we pay for it at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican place. That's how business works. When you have the volume, when you can buy in bulk, you get lower prices. Yeah, wholesale prices can't beat it. Starbucks could be in the same category. If you're a landlord, you want a a Starbucks in your property. You know they can pay the rent, although they may not pay as much as you would want to anymore. But it sure beats being empty. How about the big box change? Again, their scale lets them buy stuff at incredibly low prices. You'll hear that tomorrow when Walmart reports. I remember Jim Sindal, the former CEO of Costco, told me that some men's store managers would just buy their shirts directly from Costco because it was cheaper than buying them from the suppliers. What does that tell you about those companies' prospects? And that was before COVID made life even harder for small business. Yet most people just don't seem to realize how precarious these businesses are. There was an amazing piece from Jeffries this very morning titled, Fitness Wars, Planet Fitness traffic monitor update. We see stabilization ahead. Turns out in Georgia, Florida, and Texas, Planet Fitness is seeing 61%, 58%, and 53% of the normal traffic. Not so hot, right? Hold it. According to Jeffries, there are 35,000 independently owned and operated gyms in the United States. They don't have the deep pockets like Planet Fitness. Many of them are even more expensive, which is not great in a recession, right? And it's harder for them to keep clean. A lot of these independent gyms are probably going to go under, and a lot of that business is going to go to the bargain that is Planet Fitness. Now, for months, the Paycheck Protection Program did keep a lot of these small operators in the game. It's over, and then Congress couldn't compromise on a new deal, and the Senate won't be back in session until September 8th, which means the small businesses that need a bailout absolutely won't be getting one anytime soon, which is why I fought so passionately to get that done and failed. I'm a TV guy, but I did try to bring them both together. Anyway, you could argue that this is simply how capitalism is supposed to work. And I hear that all the time, too. Survival of the fittest. was not that great? In any other situation, I'd probably even agree, but this is an extinction-level event for small businesses, for 15 million people. I don't know about you. I'd rather live in a world with some big businesses and some small ones than a world where only the biggest operators can survive. We need more than Pizza Hut and KFC and Olive Garden. Men cannot live on infinite breadsticks alone. Unfortunately, with costs staying the same, not like landlords are slashing the rent, social distancing, meaning that you can only steep half the number of customers. A lot of these independent restaurants and retailers just can't survive. Eventually, we're going to get a vaccine. But I doubt they'll be able to hold out that long unless they're being run as a labor of love rather than a labor of, you know, uh, making money. So here's the bottom line. If any of these big box outfits disappoint when they report this week, remember, this could be the last quarter where they actually face significant independent competition funded by PPP. After that, the small guys are mostly done, done, thanks to a pandemic nobody saw coming and a political class that just can't get the job done. Luckily for your portfolio, though, mom and pop outfits aren't publicly traded, which is how the market can keep roaring despite the small business devastation. I'm going to Ray in Maryland. Ray. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure.
2: So I am a 19-year-old investor, and I wanted your thoughts on the stock that I've built a position in. The company's earnings came out two weeks ago, and it beat big on the top and bottom line, but the stock has been trending lower ever since. It has a strong balance sheet with over a billion dollars in cash, and it has a robust pipeline including a partnership with Bristol-Myers, a company you've liked in the past. What are your thoughts, short-term and long-term, on
3: x ticker symbol E-X-E-L?
1: I like Excelist very much. I've been recommending it forever, even since I had a biotech uh, project that I put together when I used to work at the street.coms before it was acquired. We had this great internship program. We all got together to work on this one book of biotechs, and that was one of my absolute favorites. I want you. I think you should own it. It's great. How about we go to Gus in Virginia? Gus. Jimmy chill. love your show, and thank you for all you do for us. Well, no problem, man. Thank you. Well, my question is on a stock I own. They reported great earnings last week, beat on both the top and bottom estimates, as well as gave strong future guidance on their conference call. But, Jim, somehow after great earnings and conference call, the stock dropped over 15% and is still down this week. Jim, can you help us to understand what is going on with this stock and the future value of A-N-G-I-N-G Home Services? Uh, You know, uh, I was quite surprised that this thing dropped. I think it's a buying opportunity. I think it's a great company. They put together a remarkable business together. And Gus, I, I, I too was mystified by the decline. I think you're in good shape there. Let's go to Satish in New Jersey. Satish. Booyah, James. Booyah. I've been, watch, I've been watching the show since 2008, and I'm honored to speak with you today. And I'm thrilled I would like that you to called. As they have posted q two losses and stem store sales are down by forty nine percent but CEO Randy was on Scottbox told Andrew about the digital ordering uh, right.
3: with uh, drive up windows and SAC track. with all these things uh,
1: considering, do you think it is time to uh, hold it or should I
2: sell uh, just to get the post-pandemic served.
1: I, I happen to love to eat there, but we try to be very unemotional about things here made Money. And the company with the best same-store sales is Chipotle because they haven't split their stock. Most people won't buy it. And I think, therefore, Wendy's is the default name. Wendy's had about 9% same-store sales. It's having phenomenal breakfast luck, and it's got such a great manager in Todd Pentagore. So I say Wendy's down Uh, 3% today is your best bet. That's what I would do. All right, the big retailers and restaurant changes, they're winning, all right? Which is great for you, but horrifying when you realize why. Well, man, buddy, tonight, I'm sitting down with an under-the-radar COVID player that could be worth considering. I'll reveal the name just ahead. And a Chinese IPO just raised more than $2 billion in tensions between U.S. and China. But what does the future hold for KE Holdings? I'm giving you my take. And I always say I have the smartest audience on the planet, which is why I'm always happy to circle back on names that you stump me on. Do not miss my exclusive with a company that I wish I had heard about 10 days ago. And it's called Grow Generation. Stay with Kramer.
0: A lot of people want to bet on
1: the COVID vaccine plays, but I think that's mug's game. We don't need 30 different vaccines. We need maybe two or three at most. Those are bad odds when you consider the dozens of companies who are competing here. Think of the vaccine race as a gold rush. The best way to get rich in a gold rush is not with the miners. It's with the companies that sell picks and pants and shovels. And that's why I recommended Thermo Fisher, TMO, and Dan DHR a month ago. And well, actually repeatedly done. That. They're both up nicely in the wake of some very good earnings. So tonight I've got a new one for you. It's called Perkin Elmer. It's a leading maker of life sciences and diagnostic equipment. Here's a stock that's been a terrific performer in the age of COVID. Perkin Elmer is one of the first companies to get emergency authorization for a coronavirus PCR test back in March, followed by an antibody test in May. And a few weeks ago, they got approval for a dry blood spot-based antibody test. When Perkin Elmer reported at the end of July, the company shot the lights out, delivering a gigantic top and bottom line beat. While some of that's already baked in, given the stocks nearly doubled from the March lows, I think it might have more room to run, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Dr. Pulad Singh. He's the president and CEO of Perkin Elmer. To get a better sense of how his company is doing where it's headed, Dr. Singh, welcome to Mad Money.
2: Thank you for having me on the show, Jim.
1: All right, doctor, we've got to get right down to this. A lot of people at home are saying... You know, how is it possible that we still don't have enough testing? How is it possible that we don't have enough machines? How hard are they to to make, sir?
2: So it's not the uh, ability to make the tests. I think the challenge is really to provide turnkey solutions so that there's a rapid turnaround time and the full workflow solutions are available for our customers. And this is why at the beginning of this pandemic, Jim, we were able to leverage our full workflow solution and our capabilities around the globe to provide the full solution. So for example, when we look at COVID testing, we don't look at it as one test, but we look at it as as a full solution. So for example, when you're directly testing for the antigen, you need the extraction, you need the automated prep, and then you need the RT-PCR. We have been fortunate that we've got capabilities across the globe that allows us to provide the full workflow solution for our customers. Okay. Well, Similarly, on think- the serology side, we've been able to do the same.
1: Right, well, let, let's talk about the deal that you have um, in Arizona. You know, got the governor announced this is July 9th, uh, today a strategic collaboration with Sonora Quest Labs, uh, market share Dynex lab in Arizona as the leader. Um, With Perkin Elmer, are you doing more of these deals? Because I was thinking, holy cow, every college in this country should do this kind of deal with you.
2: Yes, uh, Jim, we are actually doing it with a lot of states uh, across uh, uh, the country and also across the globe. You know, you might might have seen the uh, uh, press release that we have uh, with Wales. Similarly, Mm -hmm. there are several other governments and state entities where we are partnering Uh, with our customers in the state and, in some cases, directly with the state labs to bring our full solutions to our customers.
1: Now, I think it's important in this age of where there's such geopolitical tension, you have always had a great relationship with China. And, And you, what, do serology in China right now and extraction PCR serology?
2: So right now, we are not providing any solutions domestically in China, but we are leveraging some of our capabilities and our presence in China to bring products into other regions around the world, uh, in Asia and Europe.
1: Oh, I got it. Okay, because so I was looking at that uh, help combat COVID-19 across the globe uh, from the, uh, that recent, uh, the, re- the recent presentation you guys did. Now, yeah. J.P. Morgan has a piece that just came out, which just says basically, be careful, there are many companies in PCR, it's entirely possible that it's now overcrowded, and that Perkin Elmer is—it's had its big move. See, to me, after listening to you, I, I don't see why anyone would think that you are apples to apples. You're doing a customer-driven product. The other guys may have something—a machine—but they're not offering customer-driven product.
2: That's a very good point, Jim. I mean, again, as I as we look at testing you know, it is not just the availability of a PCR test. You know, anybody can make a PCR test. But there are several other elements to it that play a role. And this is where we excel. You know, over the past decade, we have been building capabilities around this gem. And you know, whether it is around diagnostics or life sciences, we are at the early stages of this growth. And as COVID has become a point where we have been able to bring all of these solutions to four, you know, you need the extraction capability. Without that, we are not going to be able to do the RT-PCR tests as it plays out today. And that's where, uh, today, for example, we launched our Explorer automated workstations, which brings automation automation in a modular format so that our customers can do up to 10,000 samples per day, per year. And this is the strength that we bring to our customers. So
1: when you get up in the morning and you read that uh, that Yale has a saliva test that they are going to give away, is that something that you say, "Uh oh, Perkin Elmer is going to be threatened by that?
2: Actually, that's a very good example of an innovation that helps us. Uh, You might be aware about eight to 12 weeks ago, we worked with our partners at Rutgers and they also brought a saliva test to the market. But the thing is, even that's a mode of collection, you still need to provide the automation to scale this up, to be able to do thousands of tests per day. And you will always need the RT-PCR test. So while it's a great innovation, it doesn't exclude all the other pieces of the puzzle that are needed for testing to be done at a large scale level.
1: I wish the journalists would be <laughs> as clear as you were just now. A lot of people are getting this story wrong, so I really appreciate you coming on Mad Money, sir. Good to see you. Thank you very much, Jim. Okay, that's Dr. Poulad Singh, President CEO of Number. Did you listen to that? It's not as simple as the saliva and go. The journalists are doing you a disservice. This is a much more complicated situation. Bad Money's back after the break. The trade war with China keeps heating up. Meetings postponed indefinitely. The TikTok ban, new sanctions over Hong Kong, crackdown, Taiwan troubles. But you wouldn't know it from the stock market. So far this year, we have had 19, one-nine, Chinese initial public offerings. More than 15% of all operating company IPOs on the United States exchange are from China. You heard me this morning, maybe it's squawk the street, saying, let's stop this already. But listen to this. Washington may have a problem with the People's Republic of China, but Wall Street keeps lapping up these deals. And last Thursday, we got the biggest Chinese IPO of 2020, K.E. Holdings. Their largest digital housing platform, symbol B-E-K-E, which is often described as the Chinese Zillow. Remember, all these are like the Chinese this, the Chinese that. This thing came public at 20 bucks, instantly jumped to 35 and changed before closing at $37.44. Pulled back on Friday, then it sorted another 17% today. Closed at a new high, just under $39. Now, according to Renaissance Capital, the experts, they track IPOs, this was the biggest first-day pop for a billion-dollar deal in 20 years. Now, I'm seeing a ton of interest in these newly minted uh, companies for the PRC. So tonight, I want to remind you that Chinese IPOs have a, let's say, checkered position. Uh, but, no, historically been a dicey proposition. It'd be a little more statesmanlike. And when you look at the latest round of deals, well, that hasn't changed at all. Now, this is not a recent development. It has nothing to do with the trade war or the White House. I've been cautioning you against emerging market IPOs in general and Chinese IPOs specifically since long before Trump took office. I'd like to think that actually uh, some of the people in Washington realized this stuff way after we did here on Mad Money. China in particular has much weaker securities laws than we do, which means their stocks are always going to be more of a gamble. There are rare cases where that gamble is worth making. Do you know, I recommended Alibaba before it came public and have stuck with it because the Chinese Amazon seemed too good to ignore. But for the most part, you're better off avoiding these deals. Just look at the numbers. Of the 19 Chinese stocks that started trading in the United States this year, 9 are up from their IPO price, 10 are down. Not great. The most positive spin you can put on this one? If you got in on the actual deal, you'd be up roughly 16% on average, mostly because a handful of these stocks have given you very big wins. But if you look at the median performer, the actual stock that's right in the middle of the pack, it's down 8.8% from the deal price. 8.8%! And you're in there trying to make money with these things? (laughs) Okay, well, maybe it doesn't sound that terrible to you until you look at the broader IPO market, which is on fire right now. When you look at the 103 non-Chinese deals we've had this year, they're up an average of 47.5% from the IPO price, with the median non-Chinese IPO up 28.5%. Just say no! In short, even if you're lucky enough to get a piece of the actual offering, these Chinese deals are underperforming the rest of the IPO market, and they're underperforming (laughs) dramatically. And of course, you probably can't get in on the IPO itself. These shares tend to be earmarked for major institutional money managers. Instead, you most likely have to wait until they start trading. So how have you done? How have you done if you bought this year's crop of Chinese IPOs, where they opened on day one? Well, it turns out, Only six of 19 are up from their first trade in one of the greatest bounce back bull markets I've ever seen. And that includes BEKE for today's rally. On average, they're down nearly 4% and the median's down 16%. Let me give you an example. Agora is the second-best performer from the Chinese class of 2020. It's a company that bills itself as the Chinese Twilio. Ooh, that's a good stock. It's a real-time engagement platform as a service. is up 114% from where it came public, but it's down 5% from its first trade not to mention falling 37.5% from its peak in early July. So it looks really great. It looks like it's a home run, and it stinks. Long story short, when you bet on Chinese companies that come public in the United States, the odds tend to be stacked against you. Listen, White House, what are you doing, Peter Navarro? Some of these stocks have a compelling elevator pitch. Everything has some American analog, but unless you're from China or you spend a lot of time there, how the heck are you supposed to know if that analogy is legitimate? Well, you can do the homework, and the homework usually tells a very different story, which brings me back to KE Holdings, aka the Chinese Zillow. Their platform is the most comprehensive residential real estate database in the People's Republic. Hey, they got 226 million homes. This is a real company. They've also been moving into the real estate brokerage business like Zillow, an area where they actually, a couple of years, uh, they're actually a couple of years ahead of Zillow. And hey, when you look at the numbers for KE Holdings, they're pretty strong. The company had 60% revenue growth last year thanks to the brokerage business taking off, although that slowed to 39% in the first half of 2020 thanks to the pandemic. Still, only 39% is something a lot of companies would kill for. Even better, K.E. Holdings is actually profitable. Honestly, if K.E. Holdings operated in a liberal democracy with a healthy regulatory apparatus, I'd probably be a big fan. But that's not the People's Republic of China. And when you're investing in an allegedly communist country with authoritarian leadership, which a lot of the thought leaders in this country don't seem to realize, well, you need to be more selective. Something that would be a yellow flag for an American IPO or a Japanese IPO or a South Korean IPO is a red flag for a Chinese IPO. What are the red flags here? All right, for starters, if you buy KE Holdings, the public shareholders have no influence over how the companies run. You're just along for the ride. Why? Because the founder and chairman owns 42% of the stock and controls 83% of the voting power. Hey, that's a good job. In fact, the stock uh, that trades here doesn't technically represent any equity in K.E. Holdings. It, that's right. No equity in K.E. Holdings, the business. Instead, you get an interest in an offshore firm with contractual rights to K.E. Holdings operating results. Can I say that's suboptimal? Then there's the valuation. When SoftBank invested in K e. Holding's earlier this year, the business was reportedly valued at 10 billion. When it came public last week, it was valued at 22.5 billion. Now it's worth 43 billion. Seems pricey, though it's much more reasonable on a price to sales basis. It trades at roughly five to six times this year's sales forecast. That's in line with Real Zillow, but here that, that's not enough for me to recommend this one. The problem, okay, when you invest in Chinese IPOs, the worst case is something like Luckin Coffee. Remember that one? Came public last year. Word higher exploded this April when it came out with a huge portion of, of their sales were straight-up fraudulent. Now, despite pressure from the bankers calling me, saying I was wrong, from the bankers, I warned you away from Locking Coffee not long after it came public. Oh, they were very upset with me, like I could care less. Yeah, I think one of them, I gave them my mother's number. It hasn't been around. Anyway, when I was trading around 20 bucks, I said, stay away. Oh, now it's a two bucks and change. And that's not a 10 for one uh, split. I'm not saying K.E. Holdings is like luck and coffee. In fact, I'm confident this is a totally above board business. But the fact that luck and coffee got away with so much fraud for so long tells you that nobody's screening these things. How about the best case? All right, what do we do with Alibaba, the Chinese Amazon, or Neo, the Chinese Tesla, or Baidu, the Chinese Google? Well, here's the thing. Time after time, you're better off buying the original. Amazon's been a better performer than Alibaba, although I like Alibaba. Tesla's been a better performer than Neo. Google's been a better performer than Baidu. Spotify's been a better performer than Tencent Music. Netflix has been a better performer than IQIYI, in part because uh, IQIYI just got hit with an SEC investigation last week. Don't worry. It's just just accounting issues. (laughs) So the bottom line, if you're tempted by the K.E. Holdings IPO, and I am sure you are, if you want to own the Zillow of China, who wouldn't? A lot of people there. I say forget about it. Too risky. Why bother when the U.S. housing market is on fire? I'm going to do a piece about the housing market tomorrow. And and, and you could own an American home builder or maybe something related. How about like that ASEC we had last week with that guy Jesse Singh? That was good. Or Trex or Home Depot, Lowe's, they report tomorrow. Or or you can go uh, defy the odds and buy one of those companies that I think it should be on the other side of your trade. I need to go to Alan in New York. Alan. Jimmy Chill, how are you? Well, the chill man's a little fired up about something, something now and then, but he's ready to play. What's going on?
3: All right. Thanks for helping out in these corona times and all other times. Uh, my stock is Alibaba. I want to know if the political turmoil between the United States and China, whether this administration
1: or the next, will impact uh, what's going to be going on with Alibaba. I think that's the only one that I'm not, maybe Baidu, but I'm not worried about Alibaba because it's got U.S.-like financials. And by the way, it happens to be a very good company. I bought some stuff in Alibaba. It is a very good company. And can I just say, for the record here, the Chinese people, it is not my fight with them. They're fabulous. My father worked for the Chinese. He loved them. I got no beef with them. It's the way that the country's regulated is the what I don't like, because it's a communist country. And I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a communist. How about John in Tennessee? John. Hey, how you doing,
2: Jim? John, it's great about... today.
1: It's great today. Yeah. First day of the rest of my yeah. life. What is it? Last day of the rest of the first You know what I mean. I, I hear that. I wanted to ask
2: you a question about Rocky Company. Um, Number one, the mortgage Yeah, what the original? heck is going
1: wrong with that thing? That is a really good company. Yeah. you got a housing market that's completely on fire. It's down. i say you buy Rocket. There'll be some tech investment banker who'll say, all right, that's it. Let's move Rocket back up. But look at this. Lenar's up big, and KB Homes, and Pulte Homes, and Toll Brothers. Ah, this stock is a buy. And I also happen to like Dan Gilbert very much. And I, I like... Uh, I mean, I like Gilbert. You know what? If you look at Rocket, this is one that really does intrigue me. If you saw last week, you might have seen one of the greatest guys in the world. Uh, come on, Jay Farner. And he was the guy who sat to the right of Gilbert. And he's a great businessman. And I think that you got to buy Rocket. I really do. All right. I want you to resist the temptation of KE Holdings. It's too risky. I'd rather have you own a play on the U.S. housing market, which is on fire. I'd rather have you own Zillow. Whew. All right. Much more mad money head, including my exclusive with Grow Generation. Oh, wait, did you hear this one? The company's soaring today, but can it continue to make you some green? <laughs> in an uncertain environment? I'm talking with the CEO. Then why it may take more than a vaccine to get people back in the office? And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last Wednesday, Stu in Florida called to ask about a company called Grow Generation, which owns the largest chain of hydroponic gardening stores in North America. This is a very small company with a stock that had already run up dramatically for the year. So I told Stu we'd have to do more homework before making any kind of decision. Well, in retrospect... I should have been a lot less hesitant. Last Thursday, Grow Generation reported a massive earnings beat, raised its full-year forecast, and rolled out some very bullish guidance for 2021. Turns out the gardening business is booming, but it doesn't hurt that so many states have legalized marijuana. I've been reliably informed that that's the best the best stuff is uh, hydroponic. Don't look at me. In response, the stock shot up 42% in a single session. For la- attacking on six uh, percent uh, on Friday, get this. today. That's right. Grow Generation has nearly doubled since Stu asked me about it. Stu, you got horse sense. Now, I hate chasing stocks after a huge run, but this oblique cannabis play clearly deserves a closer look. So let's dig deeper with Darren Lampert. He's the co-founder and CEO of Grow Generation. Mr. Lampert, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. All right. So, Darren, uh, I got to ask you. When I read about this, I said I want to be a, a grow generation CEO or I want a couple of stores. This is maybe the most exciting model I've seen in retail. But a lot of people don't know you, so why don't you describe that and what you guys do? Jim,
3: back in 2014, we saw that we believed the cannabis industry would be a multi-billion dollar industry. We made an investment in the ancillary side to consolidate and expand a fragmented industry of a few thousand hydroponic stores, and to sell the picks and the shovels to the cannabis growers, similar to what Home Depot did with home improvement markets, who is doing with the swimming pool industry, or what Site One is doing with the landscape industry. All great successes in the specialty retail space. We're a one-stop solution for all cannabis growers, from the small craft growers to the large MSOs around the country.
1: The, your same-store sales were up 49%? That's unbelievable. Yes, they were, Jim. How is that possible? Jim, we
3: saw a 50% increase in walk-in business um, quarter over quarter. Um, The business is booming. You've spoken to the large MSOs, and I know we've heard them on TV. We're in such an early stage of a multi-billion dollar industry. Growth generation is just getting started. Uh, Business has gone from 2018, we were a $30 million company, to an $80 million company last year. Uh, this year, 175 million. Next year, guidance up to 250 million. Do you have any serious competition at all? Competition is coming from pockets of strength within states that we with, with, that we transact business. Some of the old legacy states: California, Colorado, Maine, Michigan. Those are stores that are ripe for our roll-up strategy. So those are the stores that we're buying, bringing management in, bringing in sales, profits. Uh, With that, we're also opening stores in new states that are emerging. You'll see us opening up the Eastern Corridor. We just opened up Oklahoma. You'll see us in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland. So as states open, Jim, you'll see us going into these new states.
1: Now, uh, last week, um, Ben Kovler was on. uh, He's got an outfit, very big publicly traded outfit in Pennsylvania. And he said, this is really for small to medium-sized growers, not for the big guys. Now, when I look at what you're doing, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know who's doing this stuff for the big guys. I, I think you're doing them for everybody.
3: Yeah, 20% of our business comes from the large MSOs around the country. Most sales are up 180% quarter uh, uh, year over year. But right now, we represent Harvest Health, Cresco Labs, Cureleaf, Acreage Holdings, Columbia Care, just to name a few. We also represent over 700 commercial growers from state to state. And that number is growing, there are currently 14,000 commercial licenses throughout the country.
1: Well, when I looked I mean, you, other than Rhode Island, where it's a civil violation, I was surprised. For medical, I mean, anyone can grow up for medical, right? And then if you do it, I mean, I saw Oklahoma was the one I couldn't figure out, because recreational's illegal, and also Florida, it's illegal. But, but you guys don't check under what people use the stuff for.
3: Well, Oklahoma, there's 5,000 licenses. It's a very large craft license, the most licenses in the country. So we, you're seeing a tremendous boom in the Oklahoma markets right now. You know, states go two ways. They either open it up for many growers or, they, or again, like certain states, like when you go to Minnesota um, where there's two licenses, Connecticut, not many licenses. Certain states, again, are encouraging many licenses, more tax
1: revenue. So if the Democrats win the White House, and sweep in the in, in Senate and the House of Representatives, you're going to be, you're going to have this market all to yourself in 50 states.
3: We're excited about it, Jim. And one of the beautiful parts is you'll see many people, you'll see the homegrown markets explode. You'll see the commercial markets explode. Um, again, the, the markets aren't slowing down. You saw back in 2018, a small contraction. But since then, during COVID, the stay-at-home the stay economy, Gardening is booming right now,
1: both from the cannabis side and also from the, you know, from the home growth side. And you're putting up bigger and bigger stores, right? Your average is 6,000, but the new ones are much bigger. They're like big tractor supplies or like, do you want to have a Home Depot size store? Our last store we built
3: in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is 40,000 square feet. Our our warehouse style stores also, um, there are also distribution centers for us, online fulfillment centers. So kind of multi-channel, we're rolling out our omni-channel approach in September. Um, so, again, it's a multi-channel approach. We have dedicated sales reps um, for all the large MSOs around the country. We're the, we're, we're the one-stop shop for the large, medium, and small cannabis growers.
1: Well, Darren Lampert, you, this, is, this, is a, this is one for the books. I've got to tell you, it's very rare that I'm stunned that I didn't know a company. Thank you, Stu that I think may be uh, the next generation's Home Depot. So, uh, Darren Lampert, Grow Generations Co-Founder and CEO, great to meet you, sir. Thank you so much, Jim,
3: it was a pleasure being on.
1: Guys, what can I say, periodically you're blown away. I mean, that doesn't just, look, do your work, check it out, the stock's up very big, but Stu in Florida has one up on me. Mad Money's back here for the break. the lightning one, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, cover the lightning round. Chris Mind's over some Chris in Georgia. Chris.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Jim. First, Great I want to say thanks for helping.
3: I want to say thanks for helping keeping us calm during and understanding this market.
1: Well, I'm but sure trying. It's hard is, for me, too, man. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> my question is about Ping. After the uh, reported last, last week. You know, it fell, and then it's just kind of sat there. Is this something I should hold? Or... No,
1: I, I tell you, the whole group, I mean, Okta leads this group, by the way, and Okta started making a comeback. But there are so many companies in the identity business that people are starting to freak out that there's too much competition. And Ping is a very expensive stock. Let's go to uh, Justin in Michigan. Justin!
0: Hey, Justin. Jim Cramer, king of chill.
1: Yeah, I'm the chill, man. Ah, uh,
0: <laughs> I feel honored because you just answered my question on that last uh, Action Alerts Plus on uh, Thursday. Oh, thank you. It um, was a good call. So, yes, that was a very informative call. Thank you. I really, Hour and a half really, call really call enjoyed I it. And the, thank you. <laughs> uh, the stock I didn't get the chance to ask about on it because it's not part of the portfolio is royalty pharma. They oh, just I
1: like had royalty a great pharma. Call. But when they announced that dividend, I got to tell you, I interviewed that uh, pa- Pablo Lagoretta. Uh, that, that's a, what's known as a General Atlanta company. That's been the big sponsor of that. It's a great PE firm. I like that company very much. They do a lot of great biotech investing without a lot of risk. I like it. Let's go to Ryan in North Carolina. Ryan. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Ryan. How about you? I'm well, calling from North Carolina, but I'm originally a South Jersey suburbs of Philly boy. So well, both- I got to tell you, I'm getting, re- I'm getting ready for fantasy, for bull market <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> Did a lot of work this week and I have a lot more to do. What's going on? So I bought a pharmaceutical stock back in 2010 for about around $30. I held it until Corona and I finally trimmed for profit in May. So now I'm on house money. It traded up to about $300 in July. It's now back down to the two seventies. My question is, so there's still not a long way to go, or should I sell it at this point? The stock is Vertex Pharmaceuticals. No, BRT. I actually want to buy Vertex. Vertex is technology against a horrible z- disease. Cystic fibrosis is amazing, and it's just going to get better and better. I say buy Vertex. Do not sell Vertex. Let's go to Ryan in, Al- in Alabama, Ryan. A lot of Ryans. Ryan. Mr. Kramer. Yes. A big messed up you from the UAB School of Medicine. Wow, there you go. Fantastic. What's up?
2: Yes, sir. I've got a question
1: about
0: Builders First source. Ticker name BLDR. Builders First is a good North look.
1: Home Depot's gonna report, and Lowe's gonna report, but Builders First is a very good company. Fortune brands is trading very well, so is Masco. Oh no, that's it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Every time I hear that we don't know when people are going back to work, I I have to laugh. Having combed through the most recent quarterly reports from hundreds of companies, almost nobody's talking about coming back. Instead, they're talking about how great it is to work from home. Most CEOs took the pandemic seriously, and they kick off their conference calls with tremendous pride about how they were able to get their people home and hooked up practically overnight. They realized they had to get their employees out of Dodge, Dodge being the skyscrapers uh, (laughs) potentially filled with COVID-19 they didn't buy into the government's wishful thinking about how quickly this virus would go away. Now, we don't have exact numbers on how many people are staying away, okay? And some jobs still need to be performed in person. But we do know that public transit is down about 60% year over year. Toll road traffic's down 40%. Those are huge numbers, and they haven't changed much at all since the cities and states across the country reopening. That's amazing. So I need you to forget what you hear from pundits or politicians and focus on what big business is actually doing. After talking to literally dozens of companies that have switched to remote work and the tech outfits that made this transition possible, some things are pretty darn obvious. They're just not talked about. So here we go. First, there's a tremendous level of concern about safety and the office simply isn't safe. Sure, they can take your temperature when you enter the building, but you can still transmit the virus before you have symptoms, even as everyone seems to like we don't know that. I think a plane's safer than a building. Actually, I know that. Second, most companies don't know a jack about how they would even begin to reopen safely before we get a vaccine. So it's easier just to just send everyone home. Why take the risk? They don't have chief medical officers. They don't have their own PCR machines. They don't want to spend a fortune upgrading their ventilation systems. The one thing they can control is whether they'll let you in the building so they don't. Protocol. Third, We know the decline in travel and entertainment is pretty staggering. That's right, the T&E. Nobody wants to see you for a meeting in person. Nobody, no customer, okay? And nobody wants to be seen. Let me let you in a little secret. It's a lot cheaper to run a company remotely. Fourth, when offered a choice, come back to work in an allegedly safe environment or keep working from home. Most people want to stay at home. They don't want to get on public transit. They don't want to ride in elevator. I was in an elevator today. Somebody else got in the elevator. It's was like, am I okay? I mean, of course, I had two masks. Now, these people don't want to wear a mask at all. They don't, want, uh, uh, they don't want to worry about maintaining six feet of distance from the coworkers. And frankly, how do you even enforce this stuff? When you see a sign that says only five to a men's room, uh, who wants to tell the sixth dude to get out? It's so much simpler to do things remotely until we're fully in the clear with the vaccine. Fifth, Zoom's fine. You don't have to worry about getting a cold or the flu from your colleagues, let alone COVID. Nobody wants to be face-to-face right now. John Oliver can mock my Zoom-facilitated boozy brunches all he wants. He says Jim Cramer's fun-time quarantine activity makes you sad. But I say don't knock until you try it. Finally, let's be honest. It's just more convenient to work from home. And personally, I think it's better to be with your family. Although I say that as someone whose kids are grown up. If you are relying on school to provide needed daycare while you work, I know this is a very rough situation. But you need to get used to it. Because if big businesses with deep pockets are hesitant to reopen their offices, sadly, there's no way America's underfunded schools will be able to pull it off. Put it all together, and I think the age of commuting to work at a big office in the city may be over. It's not coming back until we get a vaccine. And maybe... Just maybe, not even then. Sick of cramping. All right, saved a little time here to talk about the stock of Nvidia. Now you know Nvidia's long been my favorite stock in the market. It's big holdings for ActionAlertsPlus.com. Stock was up gigantically, reports Wednesday. At this point, I have to tell you, would I buy it up above where it went out today? I say wait, and I say that only because well, not only do I love the stock, but I even name my dog after Nvidia. But up so much, just wait and see now. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. And I promise, try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
0: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.